Father in heaven, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And gosh, Lord, thank you for these people, Lord. These people that are here to hear your word and to jump in and to to get to know you, Lord, and to walk with you and to um, to just, Lord, get to understand what it is that you want to do, Lord, in this place. Lord, I pray that the words that I share would be your words, Lord, and not mine, and that, Father, you'd just be glorified in and through all of this. So, Lord, we love you, God. We thank you. And uh, we just ask these things now, Lord. I pray that the words that I share would be your words, Lord, and not mine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, chapter two, let's jump right in. And uh, if you're looking for a background as into uh, the book of Revelation, I highly encourage you to go through the introduction. I'm sure all of you have already. Most of you were here for that. And uh, of course, uh, as we are, have already gone over uh, chapter one, a lot of background there, a lot of great information. So now we are getting into... Uh, the letters to the churches. And I think this is so very applicable to us. Actually, all of the book of Revelation is very applicable to us. There's so much there. In chapter 2, we begin to see uh, Christ addressing the churches. And there's a lot we can learn. Because what we'll see here is we will see a lot of individual characteristics associated with, with each church in each region. And there's a lot of things that Christ actually slaps them on the back saying, hey, attaboy, type things. And there's some things where he says, no, this is, this is an issue that I have with you. Here's a concern that I have. And so we can learn a tremendous amount from everything that's discussed here, okay? There's so much we can take home. There's so much we can draw from. And so uh, the church in Ephesus is certainly no exception, right? So let's jump into it. And it says this. It says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? Uh, and I'll, I'll stop right here before I, I jump into the rest of the verse. I do think that it's critical you understand that when it says to the angel of the church at Ephesus, and we have talked about this, right? There's different people that have different views, uh, varying views regarding this issue of who the angel is. I will oversimplify it by just simply saying that I believe when it talks about the angel of the church at Ephesus, it's actually talking about the pastor, okay? So to the pastor of the church in Ephesus, I want you to write this. Now, why would he be called the angel? Because what would happen is he's the messenger. Okay, and so the pastor would receive that word from Jesus and then he would take that letter and he would read it to the church So the pastor hears it. He he receives what the Lord is telling him uh, From John and then he goes and he would read that out to the rest of the church. It is interesting John uh, the apostle actually would have been considered for quite some time the angel at the church in Ephesus Uh, He was the one who was the elder there for many years according to early church history And so this would have been published the time of his eldership at Ephesus, but either way, uh, this would be a message that would be written uh, to that church. And so, and it kind of is the way it works today, right? The Lord speaks oftentimes to the pastor as the pastor is studying and preparing for the word of God. And then he brings that message that the Lord brings to him to the body of Christ. And so uh, that's, there's really no different today, no real difference today from what we're seeing back then. Okay. So here's the message. It says to the angel of the church in Ephesus or to the the pastor of the church at Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, in case you're wondering what that means, what are the seven stars and what are the seven golden candlesticks? If you go back to the very end of chapter one, 
he reveals it. He actually tells us, right? There's no mystery. There's really not a whole lot of mystery involved here. He sort of reveals what the mystery might be. So what does he say in verse 20 of chapter 1? He says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. He says, The seven stars are the angels, right, of the churches and the seven candlesticks that thou sawest are the seven churches. And the way it would be translated is the seven churches themselves. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that he holds the seven stars in his right hand, right? So those those pastors he's holding there, and he walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. In other words, he's walking in the midst of the church. And I think that that's a pretty heavy uh, picture here, right? Christ is walking in our midst, and he's holding the messengers of the church in his hand. In other words, there's a there's it's indicative of a strong guidance. It's indicative of the fact that he's he's kind of watching over them, and he's kind of has them in his grip, and he's not going to let them go. And I think that there's a there's a lot to be said about that that the Lord is watching out for his church. And so we can kind of see that here. It's a pretty obvious thing, what's going on. It says this, it says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience that thou cannot bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars. So he says, look, there's some things I really appreciate about you guys, right? And he lists some of these things. He says, your works. In other words, you guys are a hard worker. You you are the church that has a really solid work ethic. You guys are just busting your tails. You're working hard. You're just, man, you're going for it. You're really just putting everything that you can into it and he says i know that i see that in you it's something that he's commending them for he's saying hey this is a good thing i see that and the other thing that he says is he says i know your labor same kind of a thing right in other words i see the things that you're doing i see your output that's really more the works right and then i see your labor i see how you're working in those things and you know how they always say they say the proof's in the pudding so think of it this way jesus is saying i know your pudding right and i see the the work that you're doing in making the pudding in other words you guys are really going for it. I see your labors and I see what that labor is producing. I see your hard work. I see what that work is producing. You guys aren't sitting still and doing anything. You know what I mean? And I think that that's an important thing to, to, to look at. That he says, look, I've seen fruit from the body that's been meeting. I see the fact that you've grown and good things have happened. You know? And I think that that's always a good indication as into uh, God's hand on a fellowship. And there's always going to be the fruit of that type of labor. And, and it's so interesting. I was thinking about this, thinking about the progress in which God has uh, taken this church through. You know, I think about where we started. And, and I remember like the, you know, a Sunday night is, conti- is considered a pretty low attendance night. And so on a night like this, I used to remember when we first started Calvary Chapel Signal Hill, if we had this many people in the elementary school, we would be rejoicing when we first started. I mean, this was an incredible, this would have been an incredible attended night, uh, incredibly intended morning. And, and it was just so, it would have been so amazing to see so many people there for that night. And we've gone to the point where throughout all the years of labor and hard work and study and focus and all the things we've done and all the work that's happened, all the things that have taken place, it's astounding to me. I mean, literally astounding to see where God has taken us, Right? And I think about it, you know, we, we started recording our messages pretty much right away with the understanding that one day we would put those messages on the internet, right? And it took us a few years before we started putting messages on the internet. So there are hundreds of messages that are missing, right? Uh, even from the, some of the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus uh, series. And, and there are many uh, messages that are missing from the original Matthew gospel that we went over.
over. But even with all of those messages missing, we have easily, from the almost 12 years we've been a church, from the almost 12 years we've been here, it's astounding how many Bible studies have been archived on our website. Almost 2,000 of them. I mean, an incredible amount of work. An incredible, that represents, and, and forgive me for saying this, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm tooting my own horn because I'm a nobody. It doesn't really mean anything, but it represents my life work for the last 12 years. It represents all the labor, you know, all the time of studying and all the time. If you just take the time of, 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 of literal hours of preaching alone, I forgot, Mike told me this a while ago, you could turn on the player, you could turn on the MP3 player, and if it was playing one study after the other, one study after the other, I think it would take you like two and a half weeks to get through all the Bible studies or something like that. I mean, at like, I think more than that, actually. But um, if I remember correctly, oh gosh, I think he said 200 and something hours or 300 hours, I, I don't even remember remember but it's an insane amount i mean just this tremendous actually it's more than that but either way an insane amount of labor and you can see any church any body that's laboring any any group of people that's laboring hard in the kingdom you're going to see the effects of that labor it's there's no way in the world if people are working hard in the kingdom of god that god won't honor his word of course he's going to honor his word of course he's going to honor the labor and it's it, to me it's always interesting when you begin to see a fellowship that isn't doing so well, you'll begin to see those areas beginning to lag where they're not really caring for the things that they need to be caring for and they're not teaching the word and there's not a lot of those things going on. But see, as we're about to find out, those things really don't matter if one thing isn't, isn't right. And we're, we're about to see that, right? So he commends them for their work. He commends them or for their works. Then he commends them for their work or their labor, right? And then he commends them for their patience. Now, patience is an interesting word. What it denotes here and what it implies is the fact that they have taken all of this time to just stay steady, to continue on. They weren't this church that was like, okay, I can't get what I want, so I'm going to move on to the next thing, right? They weren't this sensationalistic body. They were a group of people that was very, very long-suffering. They were just literally wading through, and they went under, you know, they underwent great persecution. They went under, underwent great trials and struggles and difficulty and hardship. I mean, there was a lot that this church was going through, a tremendous amount of stuff, and yet they endured it all. They went, they, they did well over it. They took heed to the counsel that Paul gave them when he addressed them, um, you know, when he was over there in that arena. So some interesting stuff as we see. And then I love what he says. He says, and how thou cannot bear them which are evil. Now, this is an interesting thing. In other words, you see evil going on and you don't tolerate it, which by the way is a characteristic in the church today that I don't see a lot of. I don't see a lot of people in the church today not tolerating evil. I see a lot of people actually tolerating it and, and swallowing it and, and, and holding on to it under the name or under the auspice of grace. You know, when in reality, we should not be the type of people that tolerate evil doing, right? And yet, uh, in this fellowship, this church, they didn't tolerate it. They didn't allow it. They didn't allow evil doing to creep into the church. They didn't allow carnality to come in. They were actually very, very good at avoiding that, right? But then notice what it says. It says, and you has tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. So, in other words, Ephesus, you've also been very good at being able to determine the cults. You've also been very good at being able to determine whether or not somebody is who they say they are, whether or not they're the real deal, whether or not they're somebody who, who um, you know, who sort of, uh, you know, uh, are who they say they are. You, 
you literally put them through the shibboleth test, if you know what I mean. You know the story of the shibboleth? You, you understand that idea? Where, where basically the, it was the way of, the, of them being able to determine, the Israelites in the early years being able to determine when people would cross, whether or not somebody was who they say they were, you know, based on the way they pronounced that particular word. And if they pronounced it wrong, they were not, uh, you know, who they said they were and they rejected them. And if they pronounce it correctly, they were able to say it. And so I think that there's always that test. And I, I, I don't know, I use, I, for some, whatever reason, someone says, oh, I'm a serious student of the word of God. And I'll say, oh, okay, well, let's talk about that shibboleth. And if they understand what I mean when I say that, eh, they, they're probably a pretty serious student of the word of God. You know what I mean? And so that's the type of thing that these guys did. The apostles were, were uh, you know, were a very small group of people. There were 12 of them at the time. They had this amazing call upon their life. And, and, and they made lots of claims that were all biblically based and all scripturally based. But then there were other people who saw what looked like the notoriety of those apostles. And they claimed to be apostles themselves. And they made all kinds of claims that weren't true. And actually Jesus here commends them for not tolerating those guys. Jesus commends them for putting them through, for lack of a better term, the shibboleth test, as I would put it, right? Um, he literally took them through and said, okay, are you the real deal? Let's confirm it. Let's actually hold your feet to the fire. If you're making this statement, I want to make sure that you're making that statement with some, with some understanding. And by the way, it is interesting today in the church today, it is so much easier now for pastors to get busted when they make claims, right? If anybody worth their beans, you know, has even a little bit of energy or strength that they want to exert towards the things that I say, they could follow up on me. They could check up on me right here in the church. You know, they could go to Google and, and, and look up a claim that I make. If I get a number wrong or if I calculate something incorrect, they got it all at their fingertips right on their phone, you know, and you'd be able to make a calculation almost immediately and determine whether or not I was correct. Or you'd be able to look up a claim that I made. Oh, is that the correct word? Oh no, you quoted the wrong word. People can check up on me right away. Back then there was so much more labor involved in a claim that somebody made. If they said the scripture say something, it wasn't like they could grab their Bible and look it up. They would have to go to the local, uh, you know, synagogue where there was worship going on they'd have to open up the scroll they'd have to study it or they'd have to go and they'd have to consult there was a lot of work in being able to determine whether or not somebody was who they said they were it was a lot harder to do back then than it is today right today it's only 10 seconds you know back then it would have been something that would have involved a tremendous amount of labor and these guys no doubt were absolutely faithful in doing that they were very very good at being able to determine who were liars and 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 you know and it is interesting how god still condemns people who say that you know they're apostles they come and they say well we're in full-time ministry we're in the ministry this is what we're doing and they lie with their mouths and the bible says tells us here that jesus commended these people for determining these people to be liars for revealing them for the liars that they were you know and that was a that's a kind of a heavy, heavy, uh, you know, thing. And I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And then he says, thou hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and has not fainted. In other words, what you've done is you have busted yourself. You have just completely busted your tails. You've worked hard. You've not allowed yourself to be tired. You're constantly going and there is no, I'm tired or I give up or I'm tired or I quit. You just go for it. You tackle it little by little and there was no laziness in what you did. You just continued to go for it. And I think this is an important thing for all of us that we would keep going no matter what. It'd be something that we just kept going and we just, with everything in us, we continue to give Give of ourselves, continue, continue to continue. And eventually the Lord honors it, right? I think it's easy for us to give up nowadays because we live in a society that teaches us that we need to give up. We live in a world today that actually tells us that if you don't get instant gratification, you move on, right? Here's an interesting statistic. And this, by the way, is a very true statistic. This is no joke. This is actually very true. Did you know that the average person 
when they go to a website, if they are not captured by what they see on that website, the average person takes six seconds on a website, on one page. They go to the page, and if the page does not give them what it is that they're looking for, or they can't find what it is that they're looking for, they will go to a different web page. This is something that I actually know to be true, because in my own experience, I tend to function that quickly, right? You go to a page, ah, I don't like the looks of this, you move on to another thing. That's the kind of world that we live in today. We live in the kind of world today that's so fast-paced, it's not even funny. How about this? How about even a few hundred years ago, when you look at maybe the 1500s or the 1600s, Every six months, you would see a book being printed, right? Maybe at that, right? Now we live in a world where, again, very much the same statistic. They say statistically every four seconds, there's a new website going up in this world. Four seconds, you guys. And that's an outdated statistic. I think that was one that the Rand Corporation put out a few years ago. Very interesting when you think about that, just the amount of information that's going out there from day to day, the things that are going on on a regular basis to think about how easily information is available. And yet these people, they didn't, there was none of that going on. They were the type of people that, man, they just went for it. They were patient people and they were tireless. They just went for it. We live in a world today that just gives up within seconds. If we're not gratified right away, we're done. We'll never use it again. We'll never go in that direction. We'll never be there because that's the way it is. We've been trained and we've been taught. If I can't get instant gratification, then it's through, right? But these people were not that way. These people lived and worked tirelessly. They did not give up quickly. Their loyalties were where they needed to be. They were people that labored and were faithful. And by the way, this is something that we see more and more in this society now, right? You ask somebody how long they've been working somewhere. If they're a young kid, if they're a millennial, they laugh at that concept. You know, oh, you're working, you know, somewhere for 20 years. Well, that's what losers do. You know, you've been working at a job for this long. No, 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 no. You're not living your life. You, you know, if you're not switching jobs every now and then, you know, you're not really. And that's the way these kids think nowadays. It's the way the young the younger generation thinks they think on that level and and i don't i don't blame them for thinking that way because those are the types of things that they've been taught right back in the day even when i was a kid the the way you went to work is you woke up early in the morning you got to work a half hour early you stayed there typically 15 minutes late and that's kind of the way it works the way it works with millennials is they don't do that there are many matter of fact most most of these jobs that offer these new hip trendy kind of a uh you know picture it's never it doesn't work that way it's like show up to the office whenever you want leave the office whenever you want hey you don't even have to show up to the office because you could set up your office in your home you know and this is the this is the the environment in which many of these kids are sort of thriving in and and so the the problem that that does i mean in some cases it produces some real success and it produces some pretty amazing things that you see in some of the younger kids but in other areas it can produce this real lack of patience people that are not consistent people that are just their attention spans are short-lived their lives tend to be very short-lived from place to place and this is the type of thing that um is something that you just don't see in a lot of people anymore. You don't see consistent and steady people that have been there, you know, uh, going day in and day out and, and regularly engaging. You don't see a lot of that. You see, you see lots of fireworks, right? But you don't see the stars. You know what I'm talking about? You don't see the stars. You see the fireworks, but you don't see the stars. And God is telling Ephesus, he's saying, you guys are the stars. I see you guys consistent. You're not movable. You're going for it. You're continuing the work. You're laboring. You're not giving up. You're just continuing even when it gets hard. One of my favorite stories to illustrate this is the picture of the two frogs that are swimming around. 
you know, they fall into a tub of milk, basically, you know, and so they're swimming around and, you know, there's this, they're, they're trying to get out of this big tub and they can't, you know, so they realize that the only way that they can sort of stay alive is by swimming around. And so, you know, they're swimming and swimming and swimming and swimming and swimming and swimming. And one of the frogs, he's beginning to get really, really tired. And the other frog tells him, keep swimming, keep swimming, keep swimming. And the frog gets tired and he says, I'm sorry, I don't have any strength. And he gives up and he drowns in the milk and he dies, basically. Right. And then there's the other frog that just can't figure out how to jump out. You know, there's, he can't jump off of water. You know what I mean? It kind of doesn't work that way. So he just knows that he can't give up swimming because if he gives up swimming, he's going to die. So he keeps swimming and swimming and swimming and swimming and swimming. And he swims much longer and much faster and much harder as time is beginning to run out. And he realizes I'm just going to, I'm going to go. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die fighting. So he swims harder and harder and harder. And it turns out he was able to jump out of the pot. Why did, why was he able to jump out of the pot? Because as he was swimming harder and harder and harder, the speed and the veracity by which he was swimming was enough to turn the milk and turn it into solid butter. So he jumps off, you know, and that's, you know, a little bit of humor in that story, right? A little bit of humor in that story, but truth be told, it's a great, but it is a great picture, isn't it? It's a great picture of perseverance. You never, ever, never, ever, ever quit. You never, ever give up. You fight with everything in you, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, you keep swinging. That's one of the things you do. And spiritually, it's so important that we become that way, that we're the type of people that's like, man, I am not going to stop. I am not going to go down. I just, and there's, and I have days where this happens where it's like, man, I'm so tired. It's been a long week. And all I want to do is just give up, you know, and, 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 and you sort of get to the point where by the time you get to third service teaching, you're just delirious. You're just like, I, I, I was telling the guys, I just go through these confusing periods where I'm like, did I just say that? No, I didn't say that. No, I said that first service. Did I say that? Oh, wait, wait. I'm in third service. Okay, I can say that again. And you say something and you feel like you said it again. And then you're so tired that you're squeezing your eyes really hard to try and keep yourself awake and you're shaking your head and you're getting even louder. Third service, I tend to be a lot louder than I am first and second service because it's my only way of keeping me awake. And by the time I get to the evening service or the fourth service, I'm really loud, you know? But the idea is, is no matter what, even when you get to the point where you're so tired and you're so exhausted and you've got nothing left, guess what? You keep going. You keep going, you keep swinging, you keep fighting. And that's where you recognize, that's where Paul talks about this. He made this very clear. He says, look, Christ is the one who's my strength. He makes that declaration. He says, I can do all things. There's nothing I can't do without Christ's help. I can do it all with the help of Christ, through Christ who strengthens me. And that's the picture. In Ephesus, that's what they were doing. They were enduring. They kept swinging. They weren't giving up. They were just going and going and going and going. And you know what? The Lord was absolutely praising them for doing that. He says, good job. You guys don't quit. You guys won't give up for anything. You keep swinging. You keep running. You keep doing all the things that you need to do. And there is something to be said about somebody who just keeps on going, right? It's one of the statements I used to make all the time. I learned it from another policeman and I actually took it to heart, right? Where, I mean, there's been a few times where, you know, when you're a chaplain, they can't tell whether or not you're a policeman, you know? So what? They don't notice the little cross on your uniform or they don't notice, you know, the fact that you're, you know, that you're there as a, you know, as a, as a pastor to the police officers. And most of the time when gangsters realize that you were a pastor, they're all very respectful, you know? They go from being angry and violent to very nice and, and respectful, you know, because, you know, they're, they're not scared of the police, but they're certainly scared of going to hell. You know, and so, uh, you know, you, you see a lot of that, you know, but, but 
But there's a few times where I've just been crazy threatened by some gangsters. You know, I'm going to kill you right down. I'm gonna da, 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 da. And, and, you know, they're beginning to square off. You know, you're, you know you're, what's happening. Like, you know that they're getting ready to fight you. They got that look in their eyes. And you know it's about to go bad. And you're about to arrest them. And I always used to make this comment to them. You know, because I, I know I'm not the guy who's going to make the arrest. But I know they're going to take a swing at me. I know it's going to happen. And I always tell them this. It was, it was like my favorite line to tell them. And I meant it. With all of my heart, I meant it. I said, you do me a favor. You make sure that when you hear hit me, you knock me out. Make sure you kill me when you hit me. Because I'll tell you what, you might have more strength than me. You might have more experience in fighting, but I guarantee you the one thing you don't have is more heart than me. So you, you go ahead and they'd always scare me. They thought I was psycho, you know? Like a matter of fact, that, that I used that line three or four times in 18 years and every single time they believed me, you know, and then they get in the car and then the guy's calling, you know, the officer right next to me, he's calling me pastor and the guy, you a pastor? What? You a pastor? Man, you're crazy, man. You're crazy. And they're all losing their minds and everything. But, but the whole idea is, here's the whole idea. That's the attitude that we need to have when it comes to the things of God. Go ahead, swing at me. Do whatever it is you're going to take to take me down. But you know what? If I'm not dead, I'm going to keep fighting. If I'm not dead, I'm going to keep stopping. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going. And that's what these guys did. They were that way. They had that kind of heart. They gave up or they didn't give up. They kept on swinging. They were going for it. And there's something to be said about that. God rewards that. By the way, you haven't fainted. That's what he says. King James way of saying, you didn't clonk out. You, just, you still went. You didn't give up. I make one last statement about this. God is so good to me in that he's taught me that I have to live this way. There's times, and you guys know it, and I don't have a problem saying this to people. I used to be proud about telling people about some of the issues that I struggle with physically because I feel I felt like if I did, oh, they're all going to be looking at me and blah, 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 blah. I always felt that way. But I, I, I have learned this. I've learned that if I don't have this attitude every day, that if I get to the point, some point, you know, at the end of the day where I go, I'm tired, I give up, I've got nothing left. I know that'll be the beginning of the end for me. I know it will. I know. I got pain in my body. My body's screaming at me. It's telling me, stop, don't do this, you know. And there's times where you have to pay attention to the symptoms going on in your body. Obviously, I've learned how to do that. But the reality of it is, if I allowed myself to capitulate to some of the, to some of the signals that my flesh sends me, you know what? I would never be effective. I would be rendered useless. And I know that for many of you guys, you face times where you get to the end of the day and you're tired and you know you've got four or five other things to do. You know you have to do them. Well, I would just tell you this. Do not put off to do tomorrow what you can do today. Do it today. Deal with it now. I promise you your, your sleep will be so much sweeter. I promise you, your energy will be so much better when you wake up in the morning. You'll feel so much more satisfied. This is how depression starts in people oftentimes. They get overwhelmed because they, they wanted to do this and couldn't get to it and they wanted to do that. They couldn't get, and they just lost their perseverance. And what ends up happening is righteously so, legitimately so. They've let so many, so many things to pile up on them and to stack up. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is so overwhelming that the tendency is, I just want to give up. And, and, and we see this especially with people involved in the ministry. And I would just tell you this. Keep swinging. Keep going. Keep fighting. Don't give up. Do not stop. Continue to persevere. Do not allow the circumstances to affect you. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. I used to say this to people every time we go to Israel. And for the people that are going to Israel with us this year, you'll find me saying this to you again. We wake them up super early in the morning. 
right? Because we've got a full day that we've got planned. They're tired because we came in late and they want to sleep in. And so they complain and they say, can't we just sleep in? I just want to, can't we just have an extra hour to sleep in? They all tell me that. All of them tell me that. And I tell them the same thing, the same thing that I have to tell myself every day. I say this, I say, here's the deal. In two years or two months or two weeks for that matter, you are not going to say something like, man, I wish I got more sleep in Israel. You're not going to say things like that. What you're going to say is, how in the world could I have been so foolish to sleep two extra hours and miss looking at the sight of my life? How is it that I missed going up to Dan or I missed going to the, to the, you know, to, uh, you know, look at the, the Western wall or whatever it is because you would, you would just beat yourself up for that, right? And sometimes I think when we get tired and when we get weary, we have to ask ourselves, is it worth being depressed over yielding to my flesh and capitulating, right? Don't get me wrong, guys. I'm all about working hard and I'm all about playing hard and I'm all about having fun. But at the same time, I'm also all about taking care of your body as well. I'm not asking you to drive your bodies into the ground either, but I am saying persevere. And I think most of us don't understand what persevere uh, is. You know, right down to the point where I'll just say this and, and, you know, a little bit of a rant, uh, but, but I'll just say we even have gotten to the point because of the whole industrial revolution and everything that's gone on the last hundred years that, you know, we've been introduced to a concept that, that didn't even exist back in the day. You know, this whole hour, this whole eight hour workday, that's a concept that, that was an invention of a hundred years ago. Before that, especially in the agrarian cultures and all the other cultures we lived in, it was work from sunup to sundown. Right? And that was kind of the way it worked. I'm not asking us to go back to that place. But what I am saying is that we just got to understand how important it is to persevere. And no matter how hard you think things are, just keep going. There's a reward in it for you. There's a great reward. Now, here's the problem. And we're about to get into it. You could do all the things that God just commended Ephesus for. You can. And you can do them effectively. You can also do them without having a real relationship with the Lord. Did you know that? We're about to find out, because that was Ephesus' issue. Watch what it says here. It says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. In other words, I have this, I'm holding this against you, because thou hast left thy first love. Did you notice? It doesn't say you lost your first love. Everybody says, oh yeah, dude, they lost their first love. And sometimes people will come up to you and they'll say, dude, you've lost your first love. It's a common phrase that we see. That's not what happened here. The Bible says they left their first love. Notice the difference. There's a big difference between losing something and leaving something, right? Losing something, okay, that happens. But you can't lose your first love. You have to make a decision to leave it. You do. Look, the Bible tells me to love my wife like Christ loves the church, right? Okay. There are times where my, not, my, where my wife, and most of you might have a hard time believing this, but there are times where my wife, to me, is not somebody that I necessarily want to love. And I'm not trying to be a harsh, that, uh, I'm not trying to make a harsh statement. But my wife is completely, I see my wife completely as she is, because that's the way it's supposed to be, right? And there are times where it's not fun to love my wife. It happens. The night goes by, something difficult, something rough takes place. I have a rule. 
I will not allow myself to hit the pillow unless God's reconciled it in my heart to love her. Now, I'm not putting that rule on her, although I think that she goes by that same rule. But in my mind and in my heart, I refuse to hit the pillow and try to sleep if I've not reconciled those issues in my heart. You can ask my wife. I do this every single night. I go to bed much later than her. When I go into bed, I need to be able to know that I can, with a sincere heart, put my hand on her back and say, I love you, sweetheart. And sometimes she responds, it's kind of cute when she's all asleep. I love you too, baby. Oh, I love it. it melts my heart, you know? And there are times where she goes, uh, I know what she means, you know? <laughs> Poor girl, I wake her up at three in the morning, whatever. But here's the point. The point is, that's a decision that I've made. It's, it's not an emotion. It's not something that you lose. If I were, God forbid, I would rather die than to come to this day. But if I were to come to the point where I would say, I'm not in love with my wife anymore. That is a direct result of a willful decision that I've made. I made that decision. In other words, I left my first love. No way in the world I could say that I don't love her anymore because it sort of escaped me. No, we don't lose things like that. (laughs) What happens is you have to make a decision to leave that. Remember that whole illustration that I talked about, continuing the fight and continuing to swim in the milk and just go for it and keep swinging and don't ever give up and have more heart than the person you're fighting against? Well, that's the attitude that I have with my wife in the sense that there is a certain veracity about me that says I will never give up on loving that woman. It will never happen. I don't care if it requires that on my dying day when I'm on a respirator and I'm, and I'm just, I have nothing left in me that I will not stop saying I love that woman with all of my heart. Why? Because if I stopped doing that, it was because I chose to do that. It had nothing to do with the fact that, oh, it left me or I lost it or it went away. And that is the way it is precisely with the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not say, oh man, I just fell out of love with the Lord. The Lord is not like some hobby that you have fun with for a while and go, ah, I'm done with that now. Time to move on to the next thing. It doesn't work that way. He's not some material object that you just say, oh, it was fun holding on to him, but I'm over that right now. I'm on to something new. No, 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 no. If you find yourself straying away from God, it's because you chose to leave. You chose to make the decision to say, God, I have no desire to be a part of this. By the way, it, 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 it breaks my heart to say this, but I've watched people do this time and time and time again. And oftentimes they even do it in the name of the Lord. Well, the Lord's put it upon my heart to take a break. You're a liar. God hadn't put any of that on your heart. There's no way he's putting something. God is not going to put it upon your heart to take a break from seeking him. That's Satan, right? That's your flesh. There's no way in the world that that kind of thing is going to happen. If you tell yourself, well, you know, I think the Lord just told me I just need to. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't. It doesn't. My wife was horrified today at the thought that she wasn't going to come to service tonight. I'll tell you this. I'll get a little personal. Honey, I have so many things to do with the house and I'm overwhelmed because I got this and that going on. Baby, I'm telling you, stay home. She didn't like that. She didn't like it. Because she feels like she's forsaking something that's important to her. Well, I can guarantee you, I promise you, I would put my life on the fact she's watching the live stream right now. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you, while she's doing the things that she needs to do, taking care of the things that she needs to take care of, that's what she's doing. Why? Because I know my bride. 
I know the mindset. She will never, ever, ever make the decision to let go of that which she loves more than me. Right? And it's the same thing. I see it all the time. I have people come up, come up to me, oh, I'm sorry I wasn't in church, but I was watching the live stream and it was really awesome. Well, duh. Of course, you love the Lord. I expect that. I know. Not that you don't love the Lord if you stop watching the live stream, right? I mean, uh, sometimes you stop watching the live stream because you do love the Lord. I'm crazy. But, you know, the, my point is, is you know, it's, it's the idea that I expect that kind of consistency. You know, we have a brother right now. You guys might know him. We have a brother right now who's fighting for his life. He's going through chemotherapy, and he's actually winning the war, right? He's, he's doing a great job. But he can't come to church because his immune system is affected and so on and so forth. You know what? With some regularity, he sends me a text or a call and says, Bro, I was blessed. They watch the live stream. Him and his wife. Sin behind. Staying plugged in. Calling people. Communicating with people. You can think about it. Pray for Andrew. He's doing really well. Last I heard, he's doing a, he's doing a good job with his walk. He's doing a good job with his, with his faith and all that. But, you know, better than that, I mean, more importantly, he's seeking God with all of his heart, right? As he's fighting for his life. And, and I think about this. It's like, if people can do that, there's really, I mean, think about it. There's no excuse. We have a dear sister in the church. This is no joke. She had a stroke. She had a stroke. The woman is in her 80s, and she shows up four days later. Now, part of that is because she's just strong as could be. You know what I mean? And she just doesn't give up. But we have people like that, that continue on. Why? Because they've made a willful decision that they will not walk away from their first love. When you get to a point where your body is so disabled, so just incapable of doing anything, and you still show up, that isn't because you're trying to maintain social appearances. Right? That isn't because you're trying to fit in or you're trying to, you know, that is all about I'm coming because I need the God who created me. That's what that's about. So the idea is Ephesus made the decision to leave their first love. I hate to say this, it's true. What's the easiest way to leave your first love? What's the easiest way? (laughs) The ministry. Bad thing to say, but it's true. Because what happens is this. You start serving the Lord, and you justify in your mind, I'm good. I'm in the ministry. I'm serving the Lord. I'm going for it. I'm involved. I do this. I do that. I come to to church. I take care of this. I handle this ministry. I'm everywhere in everything and in every place. And I'm seeking it. I'm just going for it. So you know what? I'm doing well. In your mind, you're doing well. But you begin to realize that you get so busy serving the Lord that you actually forgot the Lord himself. The things about God were, were the most critical things. And you've walked away from them. Don't get me wrong. I am the type of person that if you get to know me, I, am a, I consider myself to be a hardworking man. I, I, I do. I, I, it's something that I just, I, I do my best to put my everything in all that God has put in front of me. But there's something you're going to see me do a lot more lately, especially if you work with me. If you're here every day, you can ask Mike. He sees it. You're going to see me. And this happens. It, it, it's, it's just a regular thing. You will see me literally stop what I'm doing in the middle of the day to take time out and go somewhere and just spend time with me and the Lord alone. It's just that's the way it's going to work. I'm going to, and I don't care what anybody says. James, you've got four appointments lined up. You've got to take care of them. You know what? Those appointments will always be there. We can call them and we can reschedule. But if my head with the Lord is not right, then those appointments are going to be worthless anyway. All I'm going to do is hurt those people more, right? 
All of these things that I deal with and I face on a regular basis, they're always going to be there. The the problems are going to be there. The trials are going to be there. The burdens are going to be there. You can convince yourself that you need to be at everything and at every place and in everywhere when you're involved in the ministry and do it. And as a result, you can lose and forsake your relationship with the Lord. Well, guess what? I hope we all have taken the attitude that we refuse to do that. It's a decision that you make. It's a willful decision that we make. We say, Lord, you know what? Eh, eh, taking a break. That's what we do. And we dress it up, kind of make it look all fancy and, and so on and so forth. But in reality, uh, you know, and, and, and again, I just, my heart's heart is that we be the type of people that say, I am going to make this willful decision to stay close to the God that created me. Look what he goes on to say. This is the solution, right? This is how you fix it. Ready? Verse 5, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. In other words, I'm going to take you away before you take yourself away basically. I'm going to spare you in essence. It's an act of grace. Some people say that this is a warning that you're going to lose your salvation. I, I think that's bogus. I don't think that fits there. But it is interesting what it says to do, the solution. Here it is. It's a very simple solution. It's a a series of two really commands, right? Three commands. It says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. So take a moment to remember where you were when you first started loving God with all of your heart. And then repent. Why do you have to repent? You have to repent because if you remember where you came from, then that means you're going to remember what you did to come back to where you're at at at, at that moment. And you're going to repent for doing those things right? And then what does it say? It says, and do the first works. Go back and do what you did. Now, this is not talking about, you know, uh, doing things with the same level of immaturity and foolishness that you used to do it, right? This is not saying go back and, and, you know, uh, think about all the things you used to do as a new believer and then go back and do those exact things. If I did that, man, it would not be a very good situation, right? I mean, I used to remember when I first started walking with the Lord thinking, man, I've got to do my devotions in the morning. And just like David says, when the sun rises, I need to be singing out to the Lord. So what I would do is I would sit out on the balcony where the neighbors could hear me at five o'clock in the morning. And the sun is rising. I'd be playing my guitar and singing as loud as I could, right? And my nerve disease had not really manifested itself. So I would jam as much as I'd be loud and pick the guitar and just singing loud. I mean, being loud. And there'd be people that would be, shut up, shut up. You know, at like 5.30 in the morning, I'd be like, that guy's going to hell. He doesn't know. The, you know get yourself right with God. He'd be singing all that. I mean, okay, probably not. That's what he's talking about here. He's not saying go back to the same foolishness. He's saying go back to the same heart. And I remember that heart. You woke up in the morning and the first thing you were thinking about was nothing other than Jesus. I woke up in the morning. I wake up in the morning now and I think, oh, I'm going to go check the McDonald's app. I wonder what kind of a deal they have on the breakfast sandwich or something. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, we have a different mentality. We think a different way. We look at things a different way. I remember that time where I would look back and I would say, you know what, man? He was the thing that occupied my mind. It was always that. Not I forgot this Greek word when I study this. 
Or not that I wish I remembered this Hebrew word. That used to happen to me all the time. I'd wake up in the morning and I would think about, oh man, I gotta, re- I gotta go back and look at this Hebrew word or whatever. And the Lord is just sitting there crying. Look at me saying, great that you want to look at the Hebrew and great you want to look at the Greek and great you're thinking about the message that you're teaching. But when are you going to think about me? When are you going to look at me and just say, oh yeah. And I say this with real sincerity and with heart because I find myself today even in that place at times. Where I wake up in the morning and I think about everything else other than Christ. Like I said, think about what I'm going to eat or think about the day that I'm going to have or think about why this isn't working or why that isn't working or think about I got to go back and fix this problem or I got to go back and, oh man, did I miss any appointments or, oh, I forgot about this. Thinking about everything else instead of saying, oh yeah, Lord, it's about me and you right now. See, I think that the society we live in today works against us in a lot of ways. But it also works for us. See, everybody talks about the busyness of the society and the craziness that we live in and says that, oh, we don't have any time because of the busyness that we are. When I come to find out that actually in this type of society, we have more time than we used to ever have back in the day. You think you're busy because you're getting 300 texts a day. You think you're busy because you're getting a bunch of emails. You think you're busy because, man, you can barely fit in, you know, three hours of binge watching this new show, you know. But when you really look at it, you begin to realize you have a whole lot more time on your hands than you actually thought you did. It's one of my favorite things to do in premarital counseling. Premarital counseling, there's a homework assignment where I have everybody go home and take account of the time, what they do for the whole week. Tell me your time. And they write down, they literally write a schedule of all the things that they do the whole week. And then they tally everything up and it's like, okay, and they come up with staggering numbers. If they're doing, if they're honest, right, and they're doing really, really well, they might, they might be under 30 hours a week of TV. Maybe. And if they're well below the average, they're definitely logging, logging, uh, no, below average, maybe 25, 30, 40 hours of internet computer time. Looking up Facebook, Instagram, whatever. And you know what they always tell me? When they look at that thing, they're dumbfounded. They're like, I thought I had a busy schedule. And they've come to realize, oh my gosh, I have way more time on my hands than I thought. And then the Lord begins to do a work in their heart. Well, if you have way more time on your hands than you thought, then that must mean that that time needs to start getting allocated for your spouse. And that time needs to start getting allocated for the Lord. And that time needs to start... I mean, you think about all these things, you begin to realize, oh, wow. So the idea is this, going back to the first works and repenting, recognizing the heart that I had, and then going to the Lord and saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I haven't been thinking this way. None of this stuff involves your salvation, by the way. I hope you know that, right? Your salvation is based on the work that Jesus Christ already did for you. So your salvation isn't in question here. What's in question is how close you want to be with God, right? I think we have to get to a place where we just say, Lord, I messed up. I'm sorry. I find myself constantly having to do that. By the way, if you think this is a one-time thing that you do and then you're done for the rest of your life, you're, you're out of your mind. You're thinking something completely different. I remember showing up to the pastor's conference earlier this week thinking, yeah, okay, it's going to be the same old stuff, you know? And you get out of the car and as I, literally, this is no joke, as I'm getting out of the car, one guy comes up, no, Pastor James, I love hearing you on the radio, you're so awesome. And in my head, I'm thinking, shut up, leave me alone. I just want to, just want to get the corner and I don't want to talk to you right now. And you look at me and go, praise God, bro, thank you so much for listening. I love you, man. You know, 
And I'm thinking that'll be enough. You know, let's just go get out of here. Go leave, you know. And I'm beginning to have that attitude like, man, I have to go find a corner. And I, you know, I don't even know why I'm here. And the only reason why I am here is because Mike is here. And I, you know, I don't want to be a bad example to him. So I better get in there. And then I got this attitude. And the Lord goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you here in the first place? Are you here in the first place so you can maintain an appearance? Or are you here in the first place because you need to get your heart right with me? You want to get your eyes on me. You want to focus on me. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go find that guy. I love you, man. You know, I'm sorry. You know, whatever. But, but the point is, the idea, the goal, the heart, the mindset is to say, I want to repent from the attitude that I've had, from the place that I was. Whatever that took me to that place, I want to repent of that and I want to go back to the first works. In other words, I want to have the same heart that I used to, right? You have the same heart with the added maturity, certainly, right? But the same heart. You go back, you just don't care anymore. You just, the only thing you care about is Jesus, That's an important place to be. So do these things. He says, you need to repent. Look at this verse 6. He says, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitides, which I also hate. By the way, it's where we get the word Nike from, right? And, and, you know, that whole just do it type of thing. It's, it's, It's conquer. That's the idea. So when we talk about the Nicolaitans, we're talking about the conquerors, the the people who bully, who overpower, the people who rule with a certain sense of just, you know, uh, uh, corrupt rulers in essence, you know, lording over. They hated those people's deeds and they didn't allow them to do it. They they withstood it. And so the idea was, you think about this, they were doing everything right. There wasn't a single thing that they did wrong other than they forgot about the God who created them. That's sad. Look, people ask me this question a lot. And God forbid, I want to cover up the nakedness of my brothers. But people ask me this question a lot. How can a guy who's so well-known by everybody, who's such a dynamic preacher, because this has happened recently with a lot of different guys, somebody who has this booming ministry, 10, 15, 20, 25,000 people going to their church, how could it be that they're now backslidden. How could it be that they got caught in some adulterous relationship and it turns out they're with tons of other women and blah, 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 blah. How in the world could, how could somebody be so anointed? How in the world could somebody be so called and gifted? Well, it's really simple. God can use a donkey. Remember that story? Prophet's going around the corner. Donkey's with him, kind of goes ahead of him. Donkey sees the angel of the Lord waiting with a big old sword to chop him up, and the donkey actually can see the angel. Prophet can't. Donkey doesn't want to move. Bah, bah, he hits him. Bah, bah, come on, you stubborn little sucker. Come on, boom, boom, and he keeps spanking him. And the donkey turns around and he goes, what's wrong with you? Can't you see the guy around the corner waiting to kill you? And the prophet's like, oh, trip out, you know? Okay. I'm not special. Not in that sense. If God could use a donkey to communicate with discernment, you think for a second he can't use me or a non-believer for that matter? Or anybody else? He can use anybody he wants. He's going to honor his word. His word's not going to go out void. You can teach somebody how to be a gifted orator. You can't give them the heart. You can't. So, is it possible for you to teach and to do it effectively? And not have a heart for God? Absolutely. You can do everything right. 
including not tolerating the act of the Nicolaitans. But if your heart with God, your heart for God is not there, it means nothing. Look what it goes on to say. He that hath an ear, and we're going to see this being said a lot, right? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And, and so the idea is to he that overcometh. What does overcometh mean? The idea of overcoming. It means that you're not just surviving. It means that you're climbing over. That you're winning. You're beyond winning. You're more than winning. Look, guys, here's the picture. The picture is the words that are being shared to the church in Ephesus was not just the letter to Ephesus specifically. Yes, its origin was from Jesus. And yes, the intended here was for specifically Ephesus at that time. But Jesus changes the game when he says, he that has an ear, let him hear. By the way, why would he say he that has an ear instead of he who has eyes who can read this, let him read? Well, that's also another simple thing. When a letter would be written to the church of that time, most people were illiterate. Most people were. So it would be read out loud by one person who was literate, and so they would be hearing the word of God being given to them. And the idea is he who has an ear, let him hear. I think sometimes we think, a little bit of an encouraging word, I think sometimes we think that you're spiritual, you're more spiritual if you actually read the words at a, you know, on a book type thing. When in reality, listening to the word of God being spoken to you or listening to the word of God being taught to you is one of the greatest ways to do it. It's, a, it's an effective way. For years, my first several years, all I did was play the Bible on tape. Cassette tape is where it came first. I wore out the tapes. You know, and you'd have weird dreams in the middle of the night, you know, like you'd, you'd dream about Jacob wrestling and then all of a sudden like you'd have these crazy dreams like you were in some wrestling match and, you know, you're on your back swinging and stuff. And then when you start getting into the into the stories where they're cutting up people's bodies and all that, then you have some crazy dreams, you know, like that kind of thing. And then the and the person at Endor and, you know, matter of fact, anyway, that's like some crazy. But the point is, the more and more you get into the word, look, it, it's listen. If you have an ear, listen to it, take it in, swallow it internalize it, meditate upon it, listen to the words found in it, hear what the Spirit of God would say to the churches, understand the words of the Lord and allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to permeate within your hearts that you would get right. By the way, I do think it's fitting and I think it's appropriate that the first letter we read is the one to Ephesus because it tends to be the one that we become the most guilty of. I think it's the one that becomes the greatest issue in a society like this today where all where, where the appearances are what it's all about, you know, maintaining the appearances, but then the heart. I'll make this one last comment and, I, and I'll say this. Recently, especially, there seems to have been a lot of division going on in the church as a whole. Everybody has disagreements about things, right? And don't get me wrong. I'm all about taking a stand when I see things going on that are unbiblical, right? Ordaining homosexuals in the ministry is like saying Christian Satan worship. The two just don't make sense, right? I'm going to take a stand on the evil things that I see society doing. But when you begin to see a group of brothers ripping on each other for no other reason than a series of jealousies or no other reason than a series of, you're different from me, so I don't like you. Or, I have a, I disagree with you on an issue that is not paramount to salvation. 
So I'm going to penalize you for that disagreement. Chances are you've got a group of people who've left their first love. Chances are you've got a group of people who are not walking closely with the Lord. Because if you're walking closely with the Lord, you know what you're going to do? You're going to maintain a heart and a desire to seek God. And that will change the way you interact with other people. Listen, this is what I would beg you guys to do. The church at Calvary Chapel, Signal Hill. If you can't get this aspect right, it doesn't matter the other things that we're talking about. You have to get the aspect of your love for God to be worked out now. You've got to walk, uh, walk away from the things of evil and walk into that love relationship that you and the Lord have to fall in love with him all over again. And falling in love is not just some emotional decision that you just make where you're like, oh man, it feels good, so I'm in love with you now because you're likable. No, it doesn't work that way. It's no, today God even though my flesh hates it, even though it screams out, even though it has no desire for you, I am making the decision that I am going to love you with all of my heart. When you do that, I promise you things begin to change. I had somebody come up to me recently, and and I even talked about this in one of my recent Christian Essentials uh, series things that I did. They they said, James, I'm doing what you told me to do, and I read the Bible and I hate it. It's just tough. I can't stand it. Okay, well, let's talk about a few things. Let's talk about some practical things. What translation are you reading? The King James. Yeah, well, I don't blame you for hating it. If you can't understand it, why are you, why are you even trying? Get a translation you can understand first. Okay, they come back to me a few weeks later. I still hate it. I still hate reading it. I said, keep on going. But, keep on going. Yeah, but. Let me explain something to you. Let me, share, let me share a story with you. Hopefully this will encourage you guys. I found myself probably at the top end, 690, 700 pounds. When I was at my heaviest, I hated with a passion physical activity. I hated it. It was painful. There was a point in time in my life where things were so bad that my elders had to, on one side, grab me, and on the other side, grab me, and help me walk to my car to get me in my car, follow me home, and help me get in my house. That's how bad it got for a while. I hated physical activity. It was miserable for me. Miserable. And when I started losing weight, the guy that helped me said, there's no way around it, dude. You got to start getting physical. You got to physical activity. I hate it. You got to move. I hate it. I don't care if you hate it. You've got to do it. Ugh. Hated eating healthy food. Hated it. Here's what I learned few years go by. First 100 pounds lost. Second 100 pounds lost. Third 100 pounds lost. Kind of got to the point where, although I'm not a massive fan of physical activity in the sense that I'm kind of lazy in some respects in that way, I'm not normal if I don't go into the gym and do the things I need to do. I don't feel right. Something feels off. You might think, well, you don't look like a 
you know, fitness expert, right? But I'm getting to the point where if I do not exert a certain amount of physical activity, I don't feel normal. Here's why. I'm beginning to get healthy. When I was sick, I hated doing the things that were necessary to keep me healthy. When I began to get healthy, I began to get to a place where I couldn't do without things that keep me healthy. Spiritually, that's exactly what happens. You come to me and tell me, I hate reading the Bible. It's because you're fat and sick. And I'm not joking. It's not, I'm not being funny about it. I'm just saying, you're ill. You're pre- I was at a point in time. I remember, first year of pastoring this church, when I started this church. Matter of fact, actually going into the second year, I had a doctor that said, you will not live to 35 years old. You are dead in four years. Five years. You're dead. I promise you that, James. You will stroke out within the next year or two, and you will be dead by the time you're 35. That's what they were telling me. That's what they were saying. And I knew I had to fight for my life. Gosh, was it hard. But here's the point. I was that sick. Many people come to me and they say, I can't do it, I can't. It's you're sick right now. You're just sick. Pretty soon, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get to the point where you're not only going to do it and enjoy doing it, you're going to love it. And it's going to get to the point where you can't live without it. Because you will nurse yourself back to health. And once you're healthy, oh man, sky's the limit. Greatest example is when I was a kid. We always looked forward to watching two TV shows. Besides the Cosby show. We like watching the Cosby show. I hate to admit that now, but you know, we like watching the Cosby show. That was a fun one. Loved watching Knight Rider. Right? We liked watching the Dukes of Hazard too. We didn't realize there was so a bunch of Confederate flag. Look at them good old boys. And I didn't realize that when we were kids. We didn't think that way, you know. <laughs> you go, hey man, let me tell you, that stuff's real. I was I was driving in North Carolina. I have a friend in North Carolina. I'm driving down. I'm going to Rocky Mountain. You're going down the street and you see nothing but Confederate flags with guys sitting on their porches. I'm like, holy smokes, I better hide, man. I'm the only colored dude going down the street. Is that anyway? So okay, off with that. Um, we loved watching Knight Rider, and we love watching the 18. Right? <laughs> Good old-fashioned eight. You remember 18? That was, that was real violence, right? When they would shoot, no one would die, there would be no blood or anything. They'd blow up and everything. I loved watching the eighteen. right? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I hated Billy Graham during that time. Here's why. Because the dumb crusades would come on TV at the same time that Knight Rider would be on. Knight Rider was on Channel 4, the Billy Graham Crusade would air on Channel 5, and my mom, when she heard Billy Graham was on, it was like, get out of the way! Turn it on, Billy Graham, and she, just as I am, and she's crying, and her hands are up. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And there was no such thing as going to the other room, you know, or, or hit the DVR. There was none of that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? You're lucky if you got a picture that didn't have a bunch of wiggles in it and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that was the, that was the way it was, Right? And, and I hated it. I hate watching it. It was horrible. All I was thinking about was the, I was missing the plan that they were about to put together, you know? And I was missing the, you know, shut up, fool, and all that. I was missing all that fun stuff. 
I hated the idea of Billy Graham. Anything he said didn't make sense to me or whatever. I found myself 20 plus years later working on one of the teams, actually the team that oversees all of the security for the crusade. And I'm in the command post doing a lot of what I do for, for harvest, you know, running the command post and, and um, you know, this is at Pasadena. And I find myself just, you know, the, um, okay, 10-4, roll out, and we're working with all kinds of people, working with Eagle teams from the White House that are protecting dignitaries. Billy Graham has his own secret service detail. A lot of people don't know that. All kinds of busyness going on, right? And you're, you're doing that and everything, and Billy Graham gets up there. And when he gets up there, I kid you not, you guys, I'm not, I'm not lying to you. There were people calling me on the radio, and I missed them. I wasn't even paying attention because I'm sitting there just bawling my brains out. People are coming. I'm like, oh my God, I want to meet that guy. Oh Lord, thank you, Jesus. And I'm crying. And James, James, call me James, James. <laughs> like the wet, the, and you just think, yeah, yeah. You want to know why I had that attitude when I saw it back then? Because I was sick. That's why I didn't like it. That's why it bothered me. That's why I couldn't understand it. But when I got healthy, seeing that was the greatest thing that I'd ever seen in my life to that point. And it was funny too. Billy Graham was so anointed. That guy could just get up there. They put him on the chair. He couldn't even walk, you know. They put him on the chair and they rise the chair up to the pulpit. And Billy Graham goes, okay now, y'all need Jesus. Come on down. You know, like, I mean, just... Tons of people come down. It was amazing. The most incredible anointed thing. I mean, just you just can't help but to cry seeing salvation like that. Unbelievable. Well, that's because I'm healthy. I wasn't thinking about Knight Rider at the time, right? I wasn't thinking about the TV episode I'm missing or all the other things that I could be doing because I was healthy. Some of you might find yourself in a place right now because you've left your first love that you're sick right now, Right? The idea of going back and doing some of the things that you need to be doing to get healthy is not a pleasant picture. But I can promise you that if you take the time to do them, no matter how painful they might be, and no matter how, much, how difficult they might be, and no matter how uh, hard it might be, I promise you this. I can make you this promise. I can guarantee you that the glory of God will be seen at some point in your life. You will not only uh, enjoy it and go from being able to tolerate it, you will actually love it. And you will go from loving it to actually not being able to live without it. Right? It's a decision you make. When you make the decision, when you're in a healthy place, everything changes. I married my wife, 39 years old. Single, never been in a relationship prior to her. As amazing as that woman is, it was crazy hard to live for somebody else 24-7. I remember thinking, this is a trip. I used to be able to leave when I want. I used to be able to come home when I want. I used to be able to do whatever I wanted. And she, I know, was going through the same thing. And it was one of those things that I had to tell myself, I cannot function and think like a man who is single, I have to think about my spouse. And I used to remember in the initial time when we first got married thinking, man, this is going to be hard. Not because she's a hard person to live with, but because it was such a hard change. And going from that to thinking, I cannot imagine living my life without that woman by my side. I forgot what it was like to be single. That's the place we need to go to with the Lord. 
doesn't seem conceivable right now if, if you're in that place of unhealthiness, that place of sickness. But when you nurse yourself back to that place by getting into the things that you need to get into, let me tell you something, you will experience things so amazing that your life will be radically forever changed. You will be blown away to see the grace of God and the hand of God upon you as you make that decision. It is all predicated on you saying, let me look back to where I came from. Let me repent of what it is that got me there or is keeping me from being there. And then let me go back to that place where I was. God will bless you for it, guys. I promise you. And you will come back refreshed, energized to do the work of God. By the way, it is cool going through the letters to the seven letters of the seven churches. It talks about all these practical things that we need to get taken care of. And then we take care of them. We deal with those things. God deals with the heart. And then we get into the, the future that God's promised for. It's pretty exciting about this book. But good stuff to jump into. Amen? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for the, the message, Lord, of, of uh, the importance of just being in love with you and staying in that place, thinking about you all the time, putting you first, having a heart for you, desiring you, Lord. May we be those people, Lord, who seek you with all of our hearts, Lord. That, Lord, we would be individuals whose hearts and minds are completely turned towards you. Keep us looking to you, Lord. Keep us loving you. Keep us serving you. Keep us walking with you, Lord. Keep our eyes upon you that they would never stray from the God who created us. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you. And we ask these things now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.